Hello and welcome to the Let's Talk Bipolar podcast hosted by Emma Bell and brought to you by Bipolar UK. You can find all of our resources at www.bipolaruk.org. Welcome to Let's Talk Bipolar podcast brought to you by Bipolar UK and for this episode my guest is Dean Clark and um he is also an ambassador for Bipolar UK. So I'd like to welcome you to the show, Dean. How are you? I am well. I'm good. I'm good. It's always good getting a chance to come and speak to you. So. <laughs> Thanks. And um, I've been looking forward to this conversation because the last we've had conversations before and it's nice to find the realness, but the, also the humour in what is a very difficult condition to live with, right? Yeah, sure. Yeah, no, 100%. It's, it's, it's an approach I think you should you should have. Yeah. So Dean, I'm going to start by asking you to introduce yourself a bit. So could you, could we start by you telling us a bit about you, where you're from, how old you are, that kind of stuff. And then we'll go into afterwards, how bipolar features in your life. And we'll kind of unpack that together. Yeah, no, no. I I, I started like 16 year old into, into the army, spent eight years in the British army, uh, went from like just your army career, number of courses and operational tours, um, worked, uh, competed at like quite high level as athlete and then worked on the Olympics on my final year. And then after coming out through that, that's where this, the, the kind of overlap of the, the journey and the transition into army, which is, which is something I'm trying to promote a lot because I just don't believe it's always conflict that affects people from the armed forces. I think the transition is a big enough shock for some. And I went through that combined with things that had gone in the past as well. Um, and then just went through, I, I wouldn't say typical, it, it's just going through those series of events that leads to diagnosis. Everyone's different. So over the, oh, time's flying, isn't it? We've, we've lost one year of our life already. I know. Yeah, I know negative. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but where did yeah. it go, really? <laughs> I'm a <Wow>. year older. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I, I joined, uh, I started the career as a personal trainer. It wasn't the initial plan what I was supposed to be doing. I was looking to be a paramedic. Um, life had just other options for me. Uh, not other options, it had other choices and decisions mm -hmm. to make for me at the time. Um, and yeah, just slowly built up business. Still wasn't really aware what was going on mentally, personally, physically. Went through just cycles of all sorts of stuff, going heavily into bodybuilding. Like there was drug abuse inside there. Like it was beyond drug use. It was it was drug abuse, alcohol abuse. Um, and then, yeah, just it wasn't really till a number of years later. Like I was always sort of given that kind of uh, that very easy diagnosis without actually any kind of like attention to what's going on in an individual's life from the army, like straight away, it's I'm having this, that and other, and it's just PTSD. It's a quite quick label shift you off. And that's what I've, I've always kind of dealt with is up until sort of a couple of years ago where um, it went to the far end of the extreme where it just, I got to the point where there wasn't any, I believe there wasn't any options in my life. Like the only option was to take my life um, at that time. And then that's where the diagnosis into bipolar started to happen um, in terms of just looking at the events and how my, like, because there was so much more attention on me because I was a higher risk. That's where they started to see the changes and being like, this isn't just depression. Mm -hmm. And then ever since then, it's just been rebuilding life back up. Like I lost everything um, around me, relationship. Like I wasn't able to be a dad for some times. So I was always a dad, but I wasn't able to play the role um lost business like went down the pan lost where I was living and so yeah from now it's been the case of like just learning to live with it and and what helps me personally mm. um and then I started to come back into the kind of raising awareness it wasn't always the initial plan um I just came really open about my mental illness because I believed that was the only way it was going to help me get better um like for me to be able to be a personal trainer, I need people to understand that I'm not always going to be on form. And the problem is trying to be on form all the time and, and hide this kind of what was going on inside my head. Like that was doing more impact negatively to my, to my health. So that's how I kind of came out. And then 
like I went major manic. <laughs> Believed I was going to cure bipolar and all of this stuff, and just like I was going to save men's mental health, and yeah, and it's got me to here now. Like I've, 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 I've yeah, it's been some stuff going on. Like this is the crazy stuff, and yeah, I'm just, I'm just here now. Like it came as a big, big shock to be uh, asked to be one of the ambassadors for Bipolar UK, um, and then now it's just finding what's right for me and always learning always learning working really hard to look after my mental health um mm-hmm. and be able to raise the awareness I, i've started to go into the more like i don't like to say you you use it yourself like the word mentor uh, like i've started to use that with my kind of online personal training and just building up a number of courses mental health courses resilient courses and, and the public speaking in terms of just taking that voice to people. And that's, mm-hmm. that's where we're at now, really, like as in today, current. Mm-hmm. And I love, I love when you say I'm always learning. And I was diagnosed 10 years ago. And how long was it? How long ago were you diagnosed with bipolar? Yeah, like 2018. So, I mean, in the grand yeah. scheme of things, quite recent to a degree. And mm. there's a lot happened. But like, you've got a graft. I said graft. Mm if even if you don't have a mental illness you've got to work hard on yourself and the problem mm-hmm. is you're going through a big shape shift in terms of social media unfortunately um and you've got like you know it's like you have to keep learning like mm-hmm. you you have to work hard a lot of people go like dean how are you at like you know you, you're i get called i got called lucky the other day they're like you know it's lucky it's like how, like trust me like you may not see it and like yourself like you've got to graft every day mm-hmm. like, look after especially you've got something like bipolar and oh, um, sure you you have got to be under no illusion and this is what i would like be under no illusion you can't just necessarily sit back all the time and and expect things to get better because they're not always going to get better if that's going to be the attitude towards it and i, I talk about attitude it's important like mm-hmm. there's times with bipolar where you will have the opportunities to make significant improvements on your life that will have a long-term effect like there will be opportunities like that regardless of how small they are mm-hmm, for sure and and this is what I liked and why I brought this reference up to your reference of learning, because no matter when you get diagnosed, so 10 years ago, two years ago, I still get up and learn something new every single day. Now, at the beginning, I used to believe that I would go get some therapy, have some help and guess what? I'd be fixed and I could go back to normal. Right. I had that idea and, um, I've come to learn as I've accepted my diagnosis layer by layer, it, you know, I accept something more about it every single day because I accept that I don't just get fixed. There's no magic wand. We learn and we keep learning and we keep building our toolkits and we are open to other things, you know, that might help us and being curious to continue to learn is is a huge huge plus when you're living with a mental health illness like bipolar yeah like a hundred percent i talk about resilience mainly because of my background and, and, and mm-hmm. what i've gone through and i always want people to understand that like you're resilient if, if you're sat having a conversation with someone like people everybody goes through adversity okay and it's not it's not like a, it's not a competition of who's gone through worse like Mm-mm. the most smallest as people may say of adversity could be huge to someone and we've got to be aware of that and i talk about the kind of what you're sort of saying there it's like resilience is a constant development like mm-hmm. it's an ultimate goal and you have to be resilient in loads of different factors in your life it's not just one like I might be more resilient in terms of like mindset towards training, but it's through practice. Like you'll be more resilient in what you do. But if I was to come into your environment, it would be a shock factor. And mm-hmm. and I think that's kind of the thing. It's like a constant learning curve. Like there's still now is where bi- still now where there's stuff with bipolar that I haven't grasped, I haven't worked out, but it has improved. There's other stuff where I sit there, like I just spoke to you like literally before about about sleep. Like last night, it's kind of I woke up this morning, I was like, was that bipolar? Is that just because there's changes going on? Like, what is going on? But what can I do today? Well, I'll tell you what, Dean, you had this massive expectation of finishing all this academy work. Your mind's not going to be quite in it, but just get the job done, what you can. And that's that's mm. what it is. That's what the development is. Mm. And, I, and I love that, that you say that about modifying our expectations 
of ourselves when we are on the slightly more agita- agitated, hypermanic side of or yeah. manic side of this illness um, is for me, I might have a list of all these things I think I'm going to achieve. Yeah. And I believe, and guess what? I probably can achieve actually, but at the detriment of my health. So um, I will make a point of writing everything down and my self-care when I'm on the higher side of stuff is to cut that list in half. Yeah. So write down every single thing. So it's not about not acknowledging that you want to do these things. Write down every single thing and then go, right, you can do 50% of that. That's your rule. That's your self-care when you're on this side of the line. In the same way that when you're on the lower side of the line, it's like, right, try and get up and have a shower. Try, do you know, you have to like make your self-care list to do more. Yeah. To, to look after yourself, to do the basics, to yeah. feed yourself, to wash yourself, to dress yourself, to drag yourself through the day. When you're on the higher side of stuff, self-care looks different. It's about modifying yeah. down right yeah. and it's like for me my golden rule is 50% or less whatever's on that list 50% or less and I move yeah. the other 50% out not today and that's my self-care so yeah. this moderation and modifying is like critical yeah like do you know totally and what works for you like this is kind of the thing as well like I feel like for, just for me like like this is this is how I see like like the mental health because because you use some really key words there like self care. So for me, if if I keep speaking to guys about self care, I don't think I'm going to punch into their kind of mindset because mm-hmm. what they see as self care is a bit excuse like my terminology here, but it's a bit pink and fluffy. And mm-hmm. so, so for me, it's kind of like what what I switch around and be like I just use the term resilient. Like it sounds proper alpha. It sounds a bit bad. It sounds like but it's the same thing. Like. There's mm-hmm. a plan and a process. You, you've, you've got to understand that you have to adapt to what's going on with mm-hmm. you. You've also got to understand you've got to be versatile. And like I use it kind of as a resilience basis because I believe word association is really important with mental health. I think that's what's part of a stigma for a lot of men. And your, your self-care process, it has to be individual to you. It has Oh, sure. To. And self-care is not bubble baths and meditation when you're... No, no, I mean, no. don't get me wrong. Sometimes these things are nice and maybe, you know, yeah. everyone enjoys it from time to time. But what I... Self-care in for me in bipolar is when I'm low. Yeah. Getting myself some food, getting myself dressed, yeah. getting myself washed. That's yeah. self-care right not the airy fairy self-care that we kind of see banded about so freely and self-care when I'm higher is saying to to, saying to myself Emma I know you want to do all these things but just do half that's me taking care of myself so maybe taking care of myself is a better word how do I take care of myself when I'm on the higher side and how do I take care of myself when I'm on the lower side um and it looks different right where depending on where we are within this kind of mood shift now totally and, and that's the thing about it, it's kind of like i don't really think that many people even people that have been diagnosed with bipolar and this is down to the people that diagnose you okay so i don't think people actually understand bipolar like when i got diagnosed i was given a leaflet like that's genuinely what happened and like if they put things on there like you know looking after yourself because it's just the same bullet points all the time like Mm. if you do and this is why like when I start when I kind of got introduced to Buffer UK I was like do you know what they're completely on this kind of line they're they're, they're changed like I've my strap line is changing the way they're changing the way people look at bipolar and talk about bipolar Mm -hmm. and that's that's kind of where it's sort of coming in at it's Mm. like all this stuff going on, like you, you said you've got to adapt to your episodes. Like that, there's a different plan and a process for a different type. Like you just hit the nail on the head, mm. and that that again's like it, it just takes time. It and- does, and it takes learning, right? And this is you know what what you were referring to earlier. I'm always learning, and the biggest thing that I'm always learning about is myself. I'm always learning what works for me. And you're right, because what works for me won't work for you and vice versa. So the more we can get to know ourselves, kind of the easier we can live with um, bipolar and make the most of it. Right. So I want to talk a little bit more about your experience. So you were 
In the army? Yep. From what age to what age? I uh, Yeah, so I joined at 16. <clears throat> Still a boy. Mm. We like to think we're a bit older, a bit oh, harder. We're young now, aren't we? We're babies, <laughs> <Yeah>. really. 16 <laughs> the start of life, isn't it? Oh. And then, yeah, left at 24. Okay. Yeah. And you spoke about the transition from army to civilian life being particularly difficult for you could you just tell me a little bit more about that yeah i mean it's uh, it's, it's kind of I can, I can still just talk from a few personal views i'm doing a lot of research at the minute and studies on, on some stuff but yeah it, it's the transition in terms of it like for me personally i joined at 16 i left at 16 through life experience and i was based in germany for a lot of it which is a completely different environment right so what i was trying what, what it is is it's like the British Army, we're trained to adapt to environments that we're in. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like we all do that. We we again it's resilient. But the thing about it is, is it's like civilian street is a complete different environment. And soldiers, men and women, they they have to transition to certain things. So you you can't act like a squaddy, which a lot of us are renowned for being squaddies or soldiers which we all know comes with that bracket mm. um and that for myself it was kind of like oh my god I've got to like manage my money more like I have to like I didn't even know what council tax was honestly I, I I'm not like some people are like really I was like for me personally I didn't know what council tax was I remember asking my mum like what's council tax oh you gotta pay that every month really god the only thing that I've been paying is for my finance car each month and that's that's where it's kind of coming into. So one thing that like it was, it was like managing money, right? So mm-hmm. debt, okay, is is one of the leading causes, okay, to, to 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 depression, mental illness, okay, and dare I say it, suicide. Mm-hmm. So there's one thing there that I struggled with. It was managing money, mm-hmm. right? I had all this money as an expenditure, and actually, in the grand scheme of things, and everyone's different. Like I said, all I had to spend my money on was booze. Dare I say it, like girls, ladies, mm. and 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 my car. Mm. So that was it. So even those things, the transition, it's just adapting to the environment. Like mm-hmm. there's so much going on out here in the army. You're told what to do, where to be, what to say, what to wear. Mm-hmm. That's the simple way to look at it. Like every single night, you look at a set of orders. It tells you what you're doing the next day. Dentist booked for you. Doctors straight on your doorstep, shot straight on your doorstep, all of these sort of things. And if you're in Germany, it's even more intense because there's not many places you can go. So everything's even more confined to camp. So mm. you're in, in this environment and that's the hardest part. And events happened that I just couldn't deal with. Like mm. I had a breakup, long-term relationship. Um, an army relationship is very different to a civilian relationship, especially if it's long distance. So you keep coming back to seeing the same person for a couple of weeks at a time. You're always going to go through this honeymoon period and you're always going to go through this, this high of seeing each other and this excitement again. But then actually what happened when I got out, because I was struggling mentally, like that was hard. I just had to adapt to a whole new person, mm-hmm. like another female that I was my girlfriend for so long. So all of these little things and then I met someone else very quickly and, and she, she fell pregnant. There we go. Then you've got to adapt to being a dad. Why? And this, those stresses mounted up business. And that mm. that's what's hard. Mm. And then, I mean, that's a lot. And it, and I I can't relate to it. And I'm I'm interested. And thank you for sharing that with me. Um, because it it's just a small, tiny, teeny snap snapshot into the vast differences between one way of living and another. And that's a huge um adjustment to make for you right so you've come you're coming out of army life where basically it's like abc one two three da, 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 da. but everything's quite sort of boxy you do it in this order and then you come in into civilian life so when did bipolar first show up in your life do you feel my the final year of my army career um, when I came back from Afghanistan. This is what I believe now because I was like, 
my the career path that I was going down was kind of the next step. Like I don't need to go in like it's just another area that you can go into in the British Army and try for and stuff like that. And that was the next step for me. Like I was that was me. I was like, I'm going to go on this, this kind of selection process. I'm going to, I'm going to try. I'd done everything I did. I went all the right courses. And then, then, the, then it was like, you've got to go on a tour of Afghanistan, like Corporal Clark to, to get experience. And I was like, I'm ready. I'm going. I went out with like the Marines and I, I was like, whoa, this is what, this is what the, the, some of the levels are like that I need to be up to. And it was like, right, let's go. And then I came back from Afghanistan and like just just something changed like there was just a cut of motivation and i just thought it was the tempo of the tour like we had a hardcore tour but it it, it was it was full on in a lot of places like um you know very different to what you know there was some seriously intense fighting and conflict going on years prior that i couldn't ever imagine like those men and women but for us like our first experience of a tour that was that was tough as that was tough for us personally and um, that's where I think it first started. Like, I just lost motivation. Like, maybe it was the trauma of what had gone on and stuff like that. But I just remember speaking to, to, to like, my, my big boss, my, my squadron leader, and Kat, who, who we were really close because we'd done a lot together. And he, I was just like, I don't want to do this no more. Like, it wasn't, I had no moral issues. You know, I'd be really open. I had no moral issues of what had gone on. Like, nothing like that. I was just like, I don't want to do this. And he was like, you're supposed to be going and doing this. And then I was like, I don't want to do it. Like, I just don't want to do this no more. I just want to go. Like, that's it. And I think that's actually where it started. And then, so what happened? So you're now in Afghanistan, right? Yeah, I got back. Yeah, I just I just got back from the tour. And, he, and you're saying you don't want to do this anymore? Yeah, like, I had a conversation when I was out on tour. And, uh, and like... I remember saying, I was like, I don't like, there wasn't nothing mentally wrong or nothing like that. I was just like, I wanted to give you a heads up. I don't want to go to this next thing when I get back. Like, because it is, it's, it, there's a lot that has to go on to allow you to go and do these things. Okay. And that was where it kind of started. And like my captain was there, was at Afghanistan. I was like, well, funny enough, Dean, you're going to be getting promoted like today or tomorrow. I got promoted out on tour. Um, and it was like, oh, and he was like, you know, it's just because we're coming to the end and all these things. And he doesn't know no different. I don't know no different. And yeah, that's kind of like when, it, like the more I think about it, I'm kind of like, because I miss it. Like it mm. In all honesty, if somebody walked through my door now with all the kit and they were like, right, Dan, you, you can rejoin, you can do this. I'll do it a hundred percent. I genuinely regret like, like leaving i do oh and that's sad. it makes me sad to hear that uh, um so so you you come out of the army and that's when you feel this time you feel that that's when bipolar would start first affecting your life right but then what led you to diagnosis a lot like that like hell like absolute like just I, I was in depression for a long time um like all of these things were happening around me like we spoke about before I got into like heavy I got into ways of coping which was going on with my mind one of them was steroid abuse that was kind of my thing and what was happening is, is like, what I wasn't realizing is I was going through these kind of manic phases and like, without going in that much detail, like I got so obsessed with bodybuilding when I was manic, I was injecting like daily, like with stuff. Like I had no experience in it. I just was just obsessed. Like, and then it became a self harm. Like I would, I would go in and physically push the boundaries of my body to the point where I'd get injuries and it'd be like, oh, that feels good. And then I'd be like, right, let's do this. And yeah, that's kind of like just part of this series of events. Like the diagnosis itself, it was such a long time later. Mm. Like if you look at it, it was like, I got sectioned the first time in 2017 in December after a suicide attempt. And uh, I left in 2013. Okay. So, so those, those four years were really turbulent for you then? 
I don't, do you know what? I look back. It's like I got, I got a bit emotional, right? Like the other week when someone was talking about me, and it's kind of like I don't look at this self pride thing. I'm not proud of myself until I'm until I'm proud of myself. And they asked these things, and it was only then when I looked back and I was like, like you've gone through a lot, court battles to see my daughter, like, yeah. I, it's it like it will go in a book at some point. Like mm. it was, it was hell. Like, like going going back home and like writing letters to say goodbye. Like I can't do this no more. Like, so I look at suicide for me. I look at suicide, and this isn't this isn't a psycholo- psychology like or psychology psychology behind it. I look at suicide as like a complete separate illness. So only way I can describe it. Like I I remember sort of it was, it consumed my life. Like I started putting things in places. Like I, I set up like a bank account with this so that my daughter Evie would have, like I started doing these things. It wasn't like I, I was planning this and I would walk into work and I would just envision myself like doing things, like mm-hmm. taking my life. Like I would look at like a rafter in, in, in the gym and I'd be like, that's that's like this I can do it there like I'll be driving down the road and I'll be like all you got to do Dean is just drive drive into that like drive mm-hmm. into this mm-hmm. like I, I, I drive sometimes I remember driving once and like I just uncontrollable crying to the point where it was like I, I, I phoned a really good friend that looked after me like I, I couldn't get to where I am without her I remember phoning her I was like you gotta get me like you have to come and get me. Like, I, I was like, I'm going to do something. Like, I can't stop this urge. Um, and so all of these things happened, like, well before I was diagnosed with bipolar, well before. It's so, it's such a lot. And it can get so rough, you know, in in the time for me as well, just before I got diagnosed, those two years before I got diagnosed were the most turbulent unsafe period of my life where not only was I putting my own life in danger I was putting other people's lives in danger as well when I when I really look back and I'm honest you know and I think about when I was in a car and all of these things um but the truth is I was really unwell I didn't understand what I was dealing with and I don't know how you feel but for me when I found out that I had bipolar and was living with bipolar it kind of helped me make some sense of the chaos around yeah. me. I don't know how you feel. It's like, it's someone I always feel like there's like common themes when, when we talk within certain times in our life. And again, this come up in conversation and it was kind of like, it, it's not a cure. It's not a answer. It's, it's, a way of understanding what you've been through, like answers for what's gone on and what's to come in the future. But for me initially, like, for, like again, I've I got a video that's coming up on Bipolar UK to, to introduce myself. Like, I actually believe that it was only females that got bipolar. Okay, that's how much really? I'm 100%. I, honestly, mm. like, that, that, I was like, well, I got bipolar sort of thing. I was like, what, like as in that doesn't happen to guys? It just happens to girls? Honestly, I swear down, my hand on my heart, I just believed it was, I don't know why. Like, I don't know if it's because I'm, and then I look back and I was like, do you know what? I know why, because there's not that many men talking about it. And actually what was going on at the time is it was like anybody that had like that ability to talk about uh, bipolar was female. Mm. so even when I was like right Google like this is the mentality it's like I've got to figure out this illness like what's mm. going on and it was like I'd, I'd Google stuff and be like right the woman's talking about it women's talking about it like I actually couldn't find I think one person I found was Stephen Fry like there is men out there yeah but they weren't accessible yeah that, like, <laughs> just send, send him a quick email <laughs> just, just, yeah, like, hey uh just been diagnosed but then <laughs> The fans are telling me what the hell is about to happen to my life. Can you tell me and, what's going to happen? Yeah, what happened to you on a Monday? Oh, God. Oh, no, do you know what? You say that, though. That takes me right back to to about the time, you know, 10 years ago. And I can remember, you know, really looking to other people who were, you know, a bit more further along with things and thinking they would know what was going to happen for me. 
<laughs> yeah. Isn't it? And like, oh yeah, well they're, they're obviously all because I didn't understand it was although we all live with bipolar, it's so individualized because of our individual backgrounds. Like you were in the army. I wasn't in the army. Your experience is going to be different to my experience. You know, you identify as a man. I identify as a woman. Our experiences are different. And, um, but isn't it interesting how you and I both had a similar mindset that, yeah, yeah, if I can speak to them, then they'll be able to tell me, like you said, what's going to happen to me on Monday? (laughs) What's going to happen to me on Friday? And they'll be like, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, no, I got a hundred percent. And it's like you, you're like, and the thing about it is, is there, there, there's a double edge there because this is something I talk to people about. I look at like the same as business, okay, everything. Like you've got different levels, and what I want people to understand is like, you know, and this isn't exactly where you are, but it's an example kind of thing. It's like you're you're at like level ten, and like I'm at level like eight or nine. And when you're diagnosed, you're at the you're at the bottom. So it's very easy to look at those people as well and go, oh, they're doing this. Like they could talk about that. Oh, blah, blah. I'm never, because the next thought process for me was like, I'm never going to be able to live a normal life again. That's mm. what I then thought. I was mm, like, I definitely thought that. I definitely thought that. Yeah. Like, was, my, you know, not that my life was normal before, if I'm honest, but you know, like, <laughs> if, I, if I'm totally truthful, um, yeah. <laughs> I don't think it would, and it's air quotes normal. I don't think we'd fall into that bracket, but you know, like, I, I can remember having those thoughts and I, I really believe that that is driven by, for me anyway, driven by an underlying fear of the unknown, right? And when you're new in any arena and you're faced with something that you don't really understand that is new to you, it would be completely unhuman if we didn't have these fear-based narratives that go to... Yeah this like very all or nothing binary type language. I will never be able to have a normal life. I will never be well. I will never be able to cope without this medication. I'll, you know, we go to that and it's completely human to do that because guess what? When you're figuring stuff out, yeah, you're not, you know, you're learning and you're starting your journey and it's your journey and it's personal to you and you have to figure out what works and what doesn't. And when you're in those and I, and I will call it a bit messy stages because it was for me, it was incredibly oh. messy. Like I was searching, I was grabbing, I was looking for stuff, trying to wait, trying to find ways to fix myself. I mean, I don't use those words anymore, but I was like, you know, I just need to fix this. I need to fix yeah. myself. Well, no, we just need to be kinder to ourselves. Yeah. First of all, reach out, ask for help, you know, get the support. But it makes sense to me because I've done it and you've done it that you go to this, I'm never going to be able to live a life like X, Y, Z. How can I be here in, you know, a screaming heap about to write my car off, you know, hysterical. How can I get from this to some type of, yep, we're kind of getting through every day and every day is kind of okay. How on earth am I ever going to get there? No, totally. But, and also with that, like, like, I actually still think about those that that I, I still have that thought process mm. when I go low. Like mm. I don't mm. have I call it low because I haven't actually had extreme depression. I am I say unfortunately I had a psychotic episode last year that come out of the complete unexpected, which is a bit of a shock. But the thing about it is is like that's still a thought process because that's the way that you're talking to yourself. And Another thing for me is it's like, you may not be able to stop that, like to a degree, everyone's different. Like when I feel really low, I'll, I'll sit there, I'll be like, why me? Like, yeah. what yeah. the hell have I done? Like, I know I've been a bit of us, like, I, I, and I've done some bad things and wh- whatever it is. And I was like, but you know what? Like, I give my little bit to charity. I'll help people. I'll open the door for someone. I like to think that, you know, I'm, I'm a respectable person why the hell have I got this and I don't mm-hmm. deserve it and so you'll still think about it like oh sure it's still there like I had it when I had the psychotic episode last year I've had two in my life and honestly I was like that's just another kick like what like because you I also talk about this complacency right mm-hmm. I have times when I'll be like they got that diagnosis wrong you don't have bipolar because I feel fine yeah <laughs> I sit there and go 
God, like how could I have bipolar? I don't even have bipolar. Like maybe they got it wrong. And then maybe I it's been maybe it's been a trick the whole time. Yeah, yeah. Like I'd be like, <laughs> you know what, dude? Maybe you've been lying. Like maybe you've, you've been <laughs> like, maybe you've been lying. And then all of a sudden, something happens. And I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> you definitely got it. Like, and and that was what it was like last year. So that that's that's always like comes and it's slightly straying off. It's sort of like don't become complacent. Was it mm. like? Yeah. Just because people are listening to me and you talk openly about bipolar, that doesn't mean that you're going to get to this point and have no struggles at all. Where some uh -uh. people think you're always going to have these struggles and yeah. like the, the, the expectations is everyone is going to be different. Like no one's mm. in sync. Everyone's journeys. We do have things relatable. And it's that that's kind of the, the what it is. Mm. I said, like, honestly, like last year, I when that happened, I was like, Am I back to square one? Am I about oh. to go to depression? Am I about to do this? Is this going to happen? And, you know, oh. and it didn't, looking back at it. But it was like, oh, here we go again. Yeah, no, when it um, comes, you're right. That's exactly what goes through. It goes through my head often. When it starts to come, you think, oh, yeah. And you can definitely tell yourself those things i do oh god you know i'm gonna go back and i get a bit frightened if i'm honest yeah. of what does it mean like am i gonna go all the way back and we use that language all the way back to where i was yeah. um and it can feel scary because guess what it was scary and we were yeah. you know when you're very unwell it's it is a it's yeah. a scary place to be right yeah, totally. And and that's something I'm working with a therapist at the minute. Like, this is the longest I've stayed with therapy, like, which is good for me. Mm -hmm. I'm like 11 sessions in doing uh, EMDR therapy for the PTSD. Amazing. Um, Amazing. Yeah, the, I can't keep up with my therapist's hand. <laughs> like, like, I'm like, I get a bit sort of boss side. But how are I you finding that, it? Yeah. Like, I look at therapy like speed dating or like online dating. Yeah. Sometimes, it's not going to be the right person some and also see i actually i say it every time like you do realize rebecca i don't want to be here right now don't you like i put this kind of like front up and i'm like it's not you personally i just don't look forward to doing this right mm -hmm. so that's another thing for people about therapy because it's got its own little stigma like medication which hopefully we'll, 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 i think we're going to chat about as well but it's like it ain't enjoyable I hate it. I was in a bad place last Friday with it, like really bad, but that's why it's there. Mm -hmm. Like I had to come to terms with a lot of things. And it's like, one of the things we're getting through at the minute is that I live in constant fear that what happened in 2017 is going to happen again, mm -hmm. which is a good thing in some places. Cause it means that I'll always do everything I can to look after my mental health, everything. But then on the flip side of it, no one should live in fear. Mm -hmm. uh, because actually what that then does is it puts up such isolated boundaries and then you stop you you stop living that kind of uh, that fulfilled life and you you don't actually thrive you think you are like mm -hmm. you the whole goal with bipolar is to thrive okay mm -hmm. that's that's how i sort of see it it's like you just gotta thrive with it um mm -hmm. i sound make it sound a bit like you know it's, it's stuck on a desert island sort of thing mm -hmm. but it is it is coming it, it does kind of come down to that as well mm. like you you got to stick uh, with therapy so mm. go there oh, it's hard work right it's not magic yeah. and i used to really believe that oh it's okay i'll go see a therapist and you know they'll fix me like they were yeah. going to grant me with some magic yeah. blessing you know but yeah. it's not the person doing the work is you they're just there yeah. to guide you and give yeah. you the tools to unpack yeah. your own bags and figure yeah. it out yeah, that's a great way of putting it. Right? Like, it's like you walk in with all the bags and they just help you unpack yeah. it. Um, but it's your unpacking to do. Um, yeah. But I, it took me a long time to shift my mindset around therapy, if I'm honest, because I really yeah. did think that it was a finite process that I would do so many sessions and then I'd never do therapy again and da, 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 you know, but the truth is it's come in layers and there's, there's times that it needs to integrate. So you might do therapy for a bit. It's a bit like gardening, right? So say you've got a garden, it's full of weeds. Yeah. You go out, you clear all the weeds I like and then it, there's yeah. no more weeds that you can see. Yeah. Now, Emma, when I got to that stage the first time, thought, yep, that's it. That's me done. I'm fixed. I'm never going to need therapy again because no weeds. Just got a nice yeah. little lawn with some flowers. So I'm going to kick back, right? And then guess what? 
the weeds start coming again. And when they come, then we have to do a little bit more gardening. But in between, we do need that break. So once you've done a load of weeding, take a break, integrate, let everything that you've done sit back, enjoy the fact that you've just created a nice little garden, you know? But guess what? There'll be more weeds that come through because that's what happens. So when I got my head around the fact that my, I wasn't going to just do my garden once, I had to maintain it, then I could come at my therapy with a completely different mindset and be more accepting yeah. and less berating, like, oh, you've got to go and have more therapy because you didn't do well enough the first time. And, you know, rather than using it as a way to bash myself, I just had to, do, had to shift it somehow and look at it differently. Yeah, and again, that's like it's, it's it's how you how you view things. Like I've never heard of it like look like that. And and the kind of another thing as well is sort of like again, it comes to this association. Like what we naturally we our, our, our default setting when someone says a word right. So someone says diet, you don't think nothing positive. <laughs> you think yeah. chicken rice and broccoli, <laughs> and, and, or something like that. I mean, I do personally. Uh, but the thing about it is, is as soon as you say therapy, people go back to this default setting. So they think sat in a white, in a, uh, that might not be, I mean, I've been to a lot of hospitals, they're all white, but you sit in a room, face opposite someone, and they sit there nodding, okay, and do, and that's another thing as well, like, and I, well, I always talk about changing the way, like, if we change the way we look at stuff, it's it's gonna, it's gonna help. So mm-hmm. therapy isn't, does comes in different shapes and form. And I'm not meaning like meditation and stuff like that. I'm talking about just using your voice and talking to someone because mm-hmm. technically that's actually what they're doing. Okay, mm-hmm. there's a, I mean, obviously different types of therapy, CBT, mm-hmm. EMDR mm-hmm. Um, and all of those things, that's fine. But what, what we're doing now, right, is a form of therapy. Now, mm-hmm. There's a lot of stuff that I've spoken about that I've not spoke about for a long time, but it also acts as a process. Like mm-hmm. I could get off his call and be like, that come from nowhere. But it's also another form of therapy. Mm. And I think if people look at it like that, it's like you girls do this more than guys, women do this more than guys. You're very good at therapy, like the best I see it as, like what I like to think. Females are on it with therapy because you chat to each other so much. Like, <laughs> and and that's like therapy. It's like, and 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 guys won't guys won't sit there and go, oh yeah, like, you know, I just, you know, she doesn't want to be with me no more. And not all guys, but a lot of guys are, I know, they're like, you know, so, but for you girls, you'll go, you'll go through a whole different process. And I know we have different hormones and stuff like that, but mm-hmm. you, you are very, you're a lot better at doing therapy within each other. Mm-hmm. And I think that's another thing as well. Like we spoke about that first default setting of therapy, like sit there with your doctor, psychiatrist, psychologist, whichever it is. And we go through this turmoil and torture and all of these things. Well, actually, in fact, it's kind of like everyone should have therapy for their life. Everyone should, everybody should have therapy in life. Okay. It's something that I think should, should be with, 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 with everybody. everybody. For, for sure. I mean, we go to school, we get taught how to tie our shoelaces, ABC, yeah. one, two, three, but where's the education on how to handle our emotions? Where's the education on how to have healthy conflict resolution yeah. and solution within any relationship, yeah. work, family, uh-huh parents whatever who's teaching us this well i'll tell you who's teaching us the people are you know our parents well who taught them so if you really think about it we're probably being taught by you know 300 years old type thought processes because it's just learned stuff rather than a skilled emotionally aware trained person teaching you skills to handle your emotions feelings conflict resolution everything right i mean we could get we could go into so much yeah 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 it's a whole it's a whole other podcast but uh, (laughs) um so last point before we go is medication so what has been your journey with medication throughout this process for you brutal um i went so it's like first of all i was given three leaflets on three different types of medication that i had to look through and find out what i believe was the most suitable one for you like that's a big error um but i chose lithium mm-hmm. honestly it nearly killed me like mm. that's because the thing about it is is they take enough they don't take any consideration into your personal life like I was training for a fight at the time and without going into the science behind lithium, like lithium levels drop when certain things go on in your body. And one of them can be hydration. Mm -hmm. I was in the middle of summer and I was training for a fight 
And what was happening was, is every week, because you have to have a blood test of lithium to check lithium levels so you don't get lithium poisoning. And again, like, I haven't gone into the complete science of it, but what was happening was, is I was going there every week and they're like, oh, Dean, your lithium levels are really low still. You know, we're going to increase it. It must be because you're a big guy and stuff like this. And I'm like, okay, cool. So they increased it. And then it kept increasing. And I was, I started to feel ill. And, and all they'd be like, you know, you just got to adapt to it. Like, it's because you're doing this. And I'm like, something doesn't feel right. Like, I felt really ill. And then, like, I got something called rhabdomyolysis, right, where basically your muscles start to break down and, and an extreme thing, they start to die. Now, it wasn't directly linked to lithium, but it was from overtraining. Like, my triceps basically went out to the side. They inflamed, went red raw. And actually, basically what happens is that it, it, it starts to break down your muscles. It wasn't until then I went to a doctor. He's like, what medication? I said, lithium. I was like, how much? And he was like, he was like, personally, he says, I don't work in this field. He was like, but you shouldn't even be on lithium. And I was like, wow. So that was the first one. I had a psychotic episode, like in a nutshell, like I actually thought I'd, I'd, I'd killed my dad. Like that's what my psychotic episode was. Oh gosh. Repetitively. Like it, it was like Groundhog Day. Like every single day. I was like, it's happened again. It's happened again. Like, like I'd done the same thing every single day. Like I just lived Groundhog Day for, for, for like however long it was. Like feeling it's everything. And that was the first thing. So I even put hairs on the back of my neck now. And then I went into contyping. Like I've always wanted to wonder what it was like <laughs> to, to be completely sedated so you don't know what's going on in the world. Mm. That happened. <laughs> it was the smallest amount. Like I took it and was like, I remember sort of standing there in the morning with my clients. I mean, I'm doing the actions facial, but no one's going to yeah. see it. But... I remember standing there, my client, like one eye closed and the other one going, oh like, my and they're like, you're right, dude. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm just really tired. And they're like, right, okay. So that didn't go too well. And then I got on the Motrogene and that's mm -hmm. what I've been on now. Mm -hmm. And treat medication like therapy, speed mm -hmm. dating, whatever it is, mm -hmm. you got to keep trying it. And yeah. it has its own stigma. Like I get people, I get people inboxing me all the time. Like, have you tried this therapy? Have you tried this freeze therapy? Have you tried all this? Like, are you taking medication? Yeah, oh, you know, you don't want to be taking medication. Do the natural way. Well, medication is working for me. Yeah, yeah. Medication saved my life. Um, yeah. I wouldn't be alive without it. Um, and you're right. Medication was a journey Was a journey for me also. You know, I started on a very high dose of quetiapine and then, um, which was just, I was on that for like two, two and a bit years, two, three years, something like that. <laughs> it was, it was heavy going, a and a half. but, but it saved my life because I was completely, you know, I was so unwell, um, out of control. So it saved my life and stabilized me enough. And then I, and then I moved on to Lamotrigine similarly, actually, yeah. and found it useful once I'd had some therapy, once I'd stabilized, you know, um, it didn't keep me as level as quetiapine, but as flat, you know, flat line, yeah. but, um, it, it's enough to, was enough for me. So it's just an interesting journey, isn't it? And you're, and you're right. Medication is different for everyone and it takes time. It took me three and a bit years to find what worked for me after being diagnosed. Totally. And I think that's another, you know, is it's, it's, it's like this comes back to this, what works for you mm -hmm. doesn't work for everybody else. And mm -hmm. I just kind of believe it's like, keep sharing experiences. That's, that's great. And, and share the experiences, be like, this works for me, but don't, a lot of people are still like, you've got to do this. You've got to do that. You've got to do that. Like you don't have to do that. And it goes back to that kind of all or nothing kind of theory uh, that, that I've got. Yeah. It's like, you've, Yes, try it. I talk about exercise. There's exercise for everybody out there. Like some like I hate exercise. I was like, well, did you know this was exercise? Really? Yeah. Like, and 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 then like all of a sudden they're like, oh, okay, cool, that's great. So yeah, like with you medication. Do you know what? There's people out there. Like we really quickly, I met a lady once um, after I've done a talk about suicide, and like uh, I sat down with her, and it was kind of like I got to listen to people's experiences, and she was like, do you know what works for me? And she was like, I found God. Right at the time, because I'm not religious, okay, so for anybody listening that's religious, this isn't a direct, a direct, like, attack. this is what my view was at the time. I literally was like, you having a laugh? Like, you think that God cured as such your depression? 
And I was kind of thinking like, and then I ran away. I was like, you got to process this thing. And all of a sudden I was like, hang on a second. She went through depression. She's not going through depression. She believes that religion got it. That's amazing. Yes. Because that's what worked for her. Mm-hmm. Right? That's what worked for her. Would it work for me? I probably won't even give it the chance because I don't want to, but I don't, also I don't have to. True. And everything right now is working for me, I mm-hmm. believe. My mm-hmm. life would be very, very different if, like yourself, like the stuff that you spoke about, I've, you know, we've, we've related and it's like, if I didn't do all these things, just like you, if I didn't do all this stuff and mm-hmm. like my life would be very different, but it's what works for me. I don't mm-hmm. get up in the morning and meditate for 30 minutes. I've tried meditating. I get more angry, like meditating. Mm-hmm. Like, and also I'm, I'm very, I'm not, that I don't also look at spirituality, spirituality as, mm. as a method. Like mm. I feel like spirituality actually bypasses a lot of stuff that we need to be dealing with. But again, that's my own view. Yeah. And the thing is, you do you, right? And that's the message yeah. to everyone because the, the key to this is, yes, we all have bipolar and live with bipolar, but we are all different people with a whole mixed bag of learned experiences. So we have to find what works for us. And I mean, medication in particular, yeah, took me a good three years to find something that worked for me. And it was a really turbulent three years as well, because I often arrived, is is anything ever going to help me to feel better? You know, and you start to, I did, I used to get hopeless at times and wonder if, you know, I was ever going to feel okay. And, you know, and it, it wasn't a nice space to be in, but I didn't turn down trying something else, you know, because I thought there has to be something somewhere that's going to work. I've just got to keep trying, you know? Um, So Dean, thank you for your time today. You've been as always amazing. And um, I'm really looking forward to working more with you with Bipolar UK this year. Uh, It is exciting. Yeah. So Thank you very much for your time. And where can we find you? Yeah, just through Instagram. Okay. Uh, underscore changing underscore the underscore way underscore. Had to put the underscores in there because someone else nabbed it. But, um, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, just Instagram. That's my kind of, as we say, self-care process. I don't want too many platforms. I have, I have like one other, but and that's it, personal. Perfect. Lovely. Thanks, Dean. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Let's Talk Bipolar, the podcast brought to you by Bipolar UK. Please go to our website, www.bipolaruk.org for all of our resources and all of the support that we can offer you.